Cool. Um, hello, everyone. I'm Brandon from The Annex. Uh, it's a music project that I've started, um, well, I guess it was early 2000s. And uh, it's been, you know, I started kind of at the start of the internet, the start of streaming and all that stuff. So it's been one of those weird things where I, I was releasing music as I was learning how to produce and write music. So there's, you know, 80% of my career was all stuff I regret releasing pretty much because <laughs> it was, it was just showing the learning process. And, uh, you know, 20 years later, I'm just now starting to figure it out. So yeah. that's, that's kind of what it is. So the annex is, is basically, it's an art project on all fronts. So graphic design, clothing design, apparel, collaborations, music, videos, photography, it's, I do all of it. So it's just kind of just one person's singular vision of being a musician. So, yeah. Wow. So you do like literally everything from, from writing to production, mixing, mastering. Do you yeah. like album artwork and video production too? Yeah. Oh, yeah. you do your own videos. Oh, snap. Yeah. So <laughs> they're, that's, they're really that's good, true. by the way. Your videos are awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's um, it's a tricky one when I'm trying to film myself because you can only do so much. Yeah. So I've um, in the past set up pretty, pretty bizarre rigs where I can control camera movement using a foot and or you know pulley system or wheels or whatever it is. But I try just to be as self sufficient as possible, not rely on anyone. So yeah, that's that's awesome. I a lot of artists that I've talked to once they hit a certain point, they um. You know, they talk about what what they're going to outsource and what they're going to do themselves and i've always been the type of person who like i like there's some things i don't like doing of course but i i like the idea that i've done everything for my music like the artwork the videos even if the videos are um way less like way worse than they could be if i just hired someone like it makes me kind yeah. of proud that i did them myself even though they're worse <laughs> because of that definitely um so that's that's really cool to see you you've kind of like maintained that element of control over like a twenty year <laughs> career. Yeah. It's it's always been you know I've I've worked with big labels I've been uh, like hired on as a musician for other artists so I've seen the workings of you know like Sony and you know whatever big major label there is and um, yeah. I always just found it weird that you can be an artist that gets signed and you have a team that's showing the world how you look or dictating your artwork, your um, merchandise, even yeah. like your lyrics, their write, the songwriting. So at the end of the day, that person that's signed is really, you're not really seeing who they truly are. You're seeing it, what a team of people is, hmm. but not really what that, that singular person was. So that's um, something I've always tried to stay true to, as painful as it is and as much work as it is, is to try to do as much as I can on my own, just so yeah. You know, my fans are really seeing, they're, they're hearing a song, then they're seeing merchandise, so they're seeing, you know, pictures and graphics. It all fits into the same universe. It all is right. coherent and kind of the same. Yeah, like, I think you're you're a really good example of someone who's got their branding, like, really on point. Like, I, a lot of people get confused when they hear the words, you know, like, establish your brand or, or whatever. You know, since most of the stuff on this channel, we're talking about music business, music industry, music marketing. A lot of artists are asked, they'll ask me, like, how do I figure out my, my brand? And, like, I'm not necessarily even that great at that. But, like, you're, you're a fantastic example of it because when I think of just the, the annex, I think of the kind of um, 
like Blade Runner kind of vibes, like futuristic kind of city, but also like synthesizers and like the, the somewhat like, I guess, emo goth look you have. I don't know if that's a good way to describe it, but, <laughs> but like the, uh, the like black clothes and the, um, the neon lights and stuff. Like it, it just feels very all put together. So like, yeah, how'd you figure that out? Was that uh, more natural or more like something you actually yeah, sat down? I've always really been into um, just, you know, researching brands I like and the whole universe that resides around that brand. So, you know, you, it, any, any musician that's out there wondering how do I develop a brand, you can look at Apple, you can look at Nike, any big brand, and you can steal a lot, a lot of ideas from those guys. Uh, brands typically have color. They have a feel to all their images, the way that you write the copy of all their posts. All that feels the same. Um, you just kind of know what to expect when, like if Apple were to do a post or Nike. And um, I think that that should apply to musicians as well. Um, and I, yeah. you know, some of it feels redundant when you're doing the same thing over and over. Uh, and I know a lot of musicians that I, that I know and that I work with, they try to always change things and redevelop and, you know, but in the end, at the end of the day, you're, you're just one little blip in everyone's feed. So as much as that seems redundant to you, you're just one of 20,000 posts that person's going to see a day. So you can be as redundant as you want and it's not going to feel that way to the people looking in. Right. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, if, even if you posted like every single day on all social media, like most people are going to see you once just because of the way those services work. And they're probably not going to get bored of it even though like when you're when you're doing all this content like you know if you have to like dress up so to speak or like you know make yourself look the part or like brand everything a certain way you probably get sick of it i mean i know when for my youtube videos like uh elite well to you right now my camera looks all muted but on the stream i got like a color rate on it and all the you know the lights are all blue and orange and you got an mm -hmm. orange shirt on and that's like for my youtube channel it's like i there's a certain like look to it and it gets kind of in a way I, to me it's just this obvious thing like even though it's just a few logos and some color schemes and the way i open up videos and um i do it all the time but to someone who watches even if they watch every video a 10 minute video might have taken a couple hours to make so they're only seeing this tiny little fraction in between exactly. like hours and hours of other content they watched that day <clears throat> absolutely yeah man that's that's spot on that's what i would do too yeah yeah so uh Offline said, need to up my videography skills, but self-sufficient is the name of the game, man, <laughs> which I feel like uh, over time, I, I feel like artists have been able to do it more. Like when, when back in the day, you, you've been on a, a few labels, right? Mm -hmm. How much, you know, let's say after the first label you got signed to, like how much became them kind of like getting involved and how much did they kind of take away from you doing everything? Um, the first like big substantial record deal I signed around 2008. That was um, kind of a, what you would imagine a major deal to be like where they sign you a producer. They, they took my demos, which are what got me signed in the first place. Yeah. Rewrote them, rewrote my lyrics um, oh. because the person, the producer had this like degree from some huge music school. So that I guess made them feel that he was better than I was. So rewrote the lyrics um, and kind of redefined the tone of the songs into more of a rock 
uh, genre and stripped away a lot of the electronic stuff, which made it unique to begin with. Right. Uh, and then they they had their own graphic design department that did all the, the album art, which was pretty good. Um, and then as far as the video, they set us up with a director that did a video, which was also pretty good. But again, just what I was saying earlier, uh, it was largely someone else's vision. Like I wasn't in control over it. And a lot of the fans that were following me up to that point, they saw right through it. They knew that I didn't write those lyrics. They, they knew I didn't produce the songs. They knew I didn't direct the video. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of a changing point for me. Um, I think it was around a few years after that, uh, the iPhone and, or released the first phone with an HD camera on it, which mm. I think it was like a 720p camera. But at the time that was like groundbreaking. Yeah. So uh, we, I bought one of those a day came out and that same day stripped out my apartment and filmed the music video in there uh, with the full band. And we just shot it ourselves on the iPhone, edited it the same night, turned it out. And then um, the next day it kind of went viral, like Apple reposted it, wow. Gizmodo, all these tech sites, because it was really the first, it was the first music video done that way. And that was what everyone was showing is, you know, you don't need a huge crew, you know, 30 person, you know, film crew on a set. You, you know, this is done with one person in an iPhone. Yeah. Um, that kind of just changed my perspective on things. And uh, the way things are now in present time streaming, everything's streaming everything. And I'm sure you know how little it pays. So yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of when I'm releasing singles, I'm thinking, how can I do as much of this, create as much assets I, as I can on my own? So I eat the expense. I'm just doing it myself rather than outsourcing. Because if I have to outsource, you know, 500 bucks for album artwork and five grand for a video, I mean, that's millions of streams. I have to, that song has to get just to yeah. recoup that. Right. So that's always in the back of my mind. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, you went to the, uh, the streaming thing, which is, you know, obviously everyone's always talking about Spotify, 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 at least on this channel. <laughs> but most artists I talk to, like uh, one one person I work with, he like he, he gets, I think, like 1.5 million streams a month on, on Spotify. Is that right? So, yeah, something like that, or maybe like 2 million a month. And so for them, like streaming is a huge part of, of their income from their band. Like when it's not COVID, they do touring, but... It mm -hmm. is, so it's they, they don't. <laughs> I mean, I think they might be getting back to it, but, you know, for the last year and a half, they didn't have it. So streaming was basically their jam. Is yeah. streaming, like, your whole world, or do you get a good amount of, like, downloads, physical sales, merch sales? Like, how much of your business is Spotify? Uh, it's a big chunk. Um, all streaming platforms, like at least the big ones like uh, Spotify, Apple, and Yandex have a big Russian fan base. Okay. Those combined, I'm, I'm close to the 1.5 to 2 million streams a month. So that's that does make a substantial contribution to what I make. Yeah. Um, but the other, I mean, there's a lot of other elements in in the ecosystem of things that I make that, uh, that make me money. So merchandise, that's a whole nother strategy that I've kind of developed from uh, my obsession as you can probably see in the back with sneakers, yeah. shoes, just, you know, I've been a big time sneakerhead since, you know, the eighties basically. So I've just watched how those releases 
how you know Nike does these these shoe releases. Yeah. And I've kind of adapted that model into my merchandise. So everything's limited, timed. I know a strategy leading up to the release. Um, how to get people excited. So yeah, merchandise is a big part of it. And then I do a lot of production on the side. I do video work on the side, remixes. Um, and then there's collaborations too that I do that are not just like music merchandise, yeah. but stuff where we'll take the visual identity of, you know, really what the annex is, like the Blade Runner stuff you were talking about earlier, the neon, all that, yeah. and apply that to different uh, items. And then that's another uh, revenue source. So. Right, right. So ha have you done your own shoe launch? <laughs> <laughs> no, I wish. The problem is, is that I... I'm pretty dedicated to like, I only like Nike vans and Converse Okay. and to land one of those deals, you have to be like a Travis Scott or, you know, yeah, someone Kanye West or something. <laughs> yeah. Someone billions of years in another, you know, place than I am. So I'm right. just happy being a fan of the shoes. So, yeah. So when, when, when you sell your merch, um, like what is the, the, the marketing process behind, you know, hyping it up and, and getting, getting people to actually grab it. Like, do you, is it all organic now that you've built up this audience over the past, you know, 20-ish years or so, it sounds like? Um, yeah. Or is, or is there like, um, you know, ad strategy behind it? Is, is there just organic content production or do you have like a giant email list? Like what's the biggest uh, mover of your products? Uh, we've never done ads for any of my merchandise. And usually the, the newsletter from Fix, the label I'm signed to, that usually goes out after the stuff's already sold out. Um, so it's really just organic traffic from Instagram. That's kind of yeah. the main driver of all of it is, is, uh, is all on Instagram. Um, so it's, if I'm gonna, let's say I'm gonna release something on Friday, starting Monday of that week, I'll start with just giving small bits of information out about what's coming. Mm -hmm. And you have to understand this is also three years of, of repeating this process. So the fans know what to expect. They know that on Friday when it comes out, they have to be on the website exactly at 9 a.m. ready to buy. And then usually the stuff sells out um, sometimes in, in an hour, sometimes by midday, and sometimes it doesn't. You just, you never really know. And when we started it, the whole point was, again, trying to be as efficient as possible. I didn't want to carry huge inventory. I didn't want to order more you know, items and I knew I could sell and it was trying to yeah. figure out what that sweet spot was. So sometimes we would, you know, after the launch, we'd be like, damn, we should have, we could have made another 50 of those. Or sometimes it was, we should have made 30 less of those. <laughs> so it's just been trying to ride that line and, um, and knowing when to pull the product, like if it's not selling, just kill it. Don't leave it up yeah. forever. Um, and if you go to the fixed web store, you, you don't really see any of my merch there because, usually it's, it's there for a day and then we blow through it and then it's gone. So, yeah. um, I get messages a lot asking, you know, when's your next shirt going to come out? When, when are you going to have stuff for sale? And it's just all part of the learning process The the fans yeah. that know, they know how to get it. They know the, the game to play and you know, that's really what it is. Wow. Um, but it's, I do put a lot of work into making the assets for it. So I see a lot of bands when they're doing a shirt, they'll just use mock-ups of the shirt just mm. digital blanks and they'll put the logo on it or the graphic. And that's really all they use. 
Um, some of my stuff I'll do like full videos, like commercials for it, basically. Yeah. Um, I'll do multiple photo sets, graphic stuff, um, you know, as much as I can, different formats for stories. So I really try to hit every angle to show the merchandise in within the universe I've created as far as the brand look and identity. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm not going to take a picture of her shirt on a wooden table. That doesn't, <laughs> that's not all the shirt. Yeah. So I, I'll get the shirt. I'll go down to downtown LA, you know, find some shady looking place to take photos at night. And then just, it's, it just all has to look like it's from the same place. Yeah, I, I noticed for the 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 modular guitar straps you did, you you actually like wrote a song that was like the name of the the product or the company that you were collaborating with, and like yeah, which was I saw that and I was like, there I saw in your thing the promo video. There was like a teaser and then a promo video and then like a released video and then there was a song lyric video. I was like, what the fuck? Yeah, is that, this? Was, <laughs> that was that was an incredible amount of work that went into that. Yeah. Um, Dispatch, that was a company I collaborated with on that. They're this incredible like camera accessory company out of San Francisco. Yeah. They make really cool like camera bags and straps and like commuter accessories for cyclists and all a lot of technical gear like that. It's super yeah. good quality. It's all made in the US. So um, for the straps, the I've been wanting to do a guitar strap for a while. Um, I have a um, Fender artist deal. So I was oh, cool. originally looking at doing something with them. Um, but it was, a I wanted to do something really different and kind of breaking the molds because guitar straps really haven't changed in such a, you know, I don't think ever really <laughs> yeah. uh, for the most part. Um, so I just, again, I wanted to do something that captured all the stuff I like. I like super high tech, you know, electronics, I like cool, different materials. I like military grade materials. I like, you know, crazy sneakers. So it was taking all that stuff and making a guitar strap into it. Yeah. Um, and for that, so we had the product. I did a launch video for it. I did um, kind of a PR video for it. I wrote the music for all that stuff. And that's kind of how I have that music video for it. You know, just using stuff I already filmed for it for the strap. Yeah. Uh, I did multiple photo sets um, and, you know, we did a press release. We did all kinds of stuff. So, yeah. And that was basically me creating all that, all those assets. Damn, man. Yeah. Okay. Every, everyone <laughs> and, watching and this, we got to up our game because if, <laughs> if, uh, if Brandon here is putting all that work into selling his merch and we're just coming out here with mock-ups from like Printful or something like <laughs> who the hell's going to buy our stuff when, when they see your stuff? <laughs> like I, it, it, it might work for, you know, everyone has a different scenario. Um, yeah. For me, this is just what I found work. So I'm afraid to not do it this way. Yeah. Uh, just cause I've, it's taken so long to get to this point where I've found, you know, an Avenue that does work. Um, I mean, it, so I'm it, trying not it to. It makes a lot of sense. Cause like if, you know, you're almost putting, or it sounds like you're putting just as much work into the, the merch and, and the branding behind the merch, the videography, photography behind the merch as your actual music, which if you think of a clothing company, they're yeah. going to, they're going to do that because that's literally their whole business. Um, Absolutely. So the fact that you treat it like a hundred percent as seriously as if it was your own, the only aspect of your business, it's, you know, sure. it, I can see why that would work. And it's, it really shows when you, when you go on like your Instagram or YouTube channel, you see all these videos, you're just like, I, I didn't think there was a, like any chance at all that you did all of it. 
just because it was so much it would have been so much work to do it all but yeah. you're doing it yeah. all which is awesome you know it's impressive yeah the, the thing is I don't, I don't know how sustainable it is <laughs> that i keep doing it yeah. um because i mean dude it is really exhausting and uh it's a miracle that i still have motivation to keep doing it and keep you know as soon as that merch run is done it's right back to writing the next single yeah. as soon as that single is done it's creating the artwork creating photos maybe doing a video for it then doing merch it's also timed up with the release of that single that's another yeah. thing i try to do is whenever i release merchandise it's uh it's generally on this i'll put it out the same day as whatever single i have coming out yeah. that way it has an extra boost of enthusiasm fans are excited they're hearing a new song new shirts coming out also releasing stuff on a friday i found is better because people get paid on fridays right uh, people are in a better mood on fridays last day of the week so um yeah a lot of it's it's just kind of common sense if you just analyze yourself the things that make you happy when you're happiest out of the week um you know when you're more likely to buy something it just applies to your own stuff yeah totally i, I noticed the same thing um I, I have like a sample pack business and i also sell mm -hmm. like courses and stuff and it'll be crazy that um usually at least sunday is the worst day the best mm. days are usually um wednesdays and thursdays for whatever mm. reason so like you know i every day when i get a sale like you know i get emails whenever i get sales so i'll be like you know i'll have a really good day and i'll be like oh i'm gonna go buy something online because i <laughs> i just made a bunch of money and then like the weekend comes and you're just like okay maybe i shouldn't have spent all that money um yeah i think it's you know it's, it's like every industry has their own quirks of of when people are doing stuff and for me sure. it, it might just be like youtube decided to push one of my videos out or or um, a certain day of the week, one of my like Facebook ad campaigns is like happens to be doing better in the auction, you know. But hmm. um, you're right; like it, it makes sense that if if it assuming it fits your audience and and who you're targeting, that like people get paid on either Fridays or Thursdays, um, and so the end of the week is normally like fun time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna go buy a shirt. I'm gonna go buy a guitar strap. I'm gonna. I'm going to go stream exactly. some music and it's probably why Spotify does the music releases on Friday. Like I, I think before it used to be Tuesdays was the standard, right? And then Spotify kind of mm -hmm. changed it to Fridays. Yeah. Um, which is why I've always released music on Fridays myself. Hmm. Yeah. So you release a lot of music. <laughs> yeah. Which um, I forget. I was, I'm just going to open your Spotify. Um, you released an album this year already, but I saw something on your site that like you're teasing like another album for this year. <laughs> Is that right? Uh, no. So it's generally one album per year. Okay. Over the starting in, I think it's 2018 is when I got on this rhythm. Yeah. Um, what I've done this year is just release singles, which by around October, these will all be compiled onto the rest of this new album that's coming out called Revenge. Yeah. Um, but what we found is, uh, I mean, it's, it's pretty alarming. Um, we were looking at artists that put out two singles and then didn't release an album with like eight songs on it. So basically those eight songs weren't released as a single. They were just released on the album. Yeah. And the performance of the songs that weren't released as singles on Spotify was, you know, like one sixteenth of the songs that were singles. And this was, you can analyze a lot of different artists and find similar results to this. 
Yeah. So as much as it sucks to, to give away all your songs as singles and then, you know, at the end of the year, you release the album and maybe there's one new song that no one's heard yet. That's that sucks because I grew up yeah. want, you know, buying albums where the whole thing was a surprise. Maybe, maybe you'd hear the one song on the radio and then the other nine songs were all brand new. And I love that. Yeah. But in the age we're in now, uh, if you actually want your songs to get heard and you want the, the numbers to be up and you want the whole album to perform and, you know, pass a million streams as the whole album together, Right. You just have to release everything as singles or as many as you possibly can. So yeah. my goal is always, I at least have to have 10 songs on an album. And, you know, last year and the year before I was saying, okay, we'll do seven songs as singles. And then the last three will be the surprise on the album. Yeah. But now it's like, I'm going to release nine singles and the 10th one will be when the album is out. Just because that's the only way to, to get, you know, get anything out of it really. That's the exact same thing that I've I've seen for like everyone I've talked to. They all say the same mm-hmm. same thing. Um, you know, it's it's it kind of sucks. You're right because like I you know I I kind of forgot about it. I, do you listen to Tool by the way? Yeah, I, mm-hmm. I completely forgot about the magic of an album that hasn't been like singleified. Um, yeah. When Tool they dropped like one single for their new album, and then they just dropped the whole album like a month later. And it was just yeah. the whole thing was a surprise. And I listened to it from start to finish. And um, that magic is completely gone. And a lot of people ask me on my channel, um, especially if they're not like, I think rappers and pop artists get it. And EDM people get it. Like the world is all singles. But a lot of rock artists will comment like, hey, I really don't want to release every song in my album as singles. I just want to like drop an album. And I'm, yeah. I'm just like, if you just drop your album, you're kind of just throwing all those songs away, unfortunately. Ex- yeah. Especially if it's like your first release. Like, don't make your first release an album and then not release a damn thing for two years or whatever. Yeah. Um, trickle it out, you know, one one a month for for a year and then write new music while you wait for that. And it's cool to but hear. Yeah, there's a lot of benefits to doing the single route. Uh, one of them is, I believe you can only pitch... Like, let's say you're releasing a full album. You've never released a single, just the full album. You can only pitch one of those songs to Spotify's editorial playlist. Yeah. So that means you get one chance out of your 10 to 15 songs on your album to land a playlist. Versus releasing single, you get every single gets its own chance to land an editorial playlist. Yeah. Um, also, when you're releasing a song month, like I do... Um, that keeps like people engaged every month. They're coming back to you. They're constantly seeing you in their release section, uh, keeps them motivated and, and excited to buy merchandise all the time versus the old method where you, you know, you go into a studio for four months and you're, you're silent. Then you come out with this album, you put it out and then you go tour to support it. You don't have a lot of engagement in between. You engage people on the road on tour. Um, but the, the model that I'm on just releasing stuff every month, but accompanying the release with all these other things for people to, to get engaged with, that's kind of, I've been able to bypass the touring model and do it this way. And yeah. I'm seeing the light at the end of the tunnel that the, it is a sustainable or it is something that could work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I've been trying to do that too. And I mean, I, I'm like eight times smaller than you on Spotify or something, but it seems to totally still work. And you know, I've, I've worked with artists who are starting from zero mm-hmm. and 
they do what what you're doing to get from zero to like you know to ten thousand to twenty thousand to fifty thousand to a hundred thousand monthly listeners and um whereas other people just kind of you know they they don't want to do it and they refuse to follow the model because they hate they hate how it, like what it does to the music experience you know they want to be this mysterious like you know, like again tool i guess is a good example there are all these like mysterious guys who hide from the limelight and don't post any content and drop an album once every what was it 12 years the, the album before that was and still <laughs> yeah but like they're an exception you know if 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 tool was a brand new band they would be doing i mean maybe because they're they're freaking amazing they'd still do do very well but um you know you can't look at someone like kanye west and copy him necessarily because you're not you're not at that level which um, this whole single strategy seems to be like the best way to do it because you get way more pitching opportunities. The algorithmic yeah. playlists seem to like that schedule, and it's the same on YouTube, the same on Instagram. If you don't post on YouTube for two months, your numbers are going to go down. Mm-hmm. Same on Spotify. Yeah, it, and it's it's definitely a challenge. It's not easy to keep posting. I'm someone personally that absolutely hates posting photos of myself videos doing anything that we're up to like be on camera i just i hate the whole thing i'm much more behind the scenes type of uh thing so that's that's been the struggle for me is uh is trying to get the motivation to do the stuff that i know is needed to make this business work yeah so the social media content's a lot more exhausting than to think some people realize before they get into it like yeah some people like I've heard the ideal Instagram strategy that a lot of the influencer people will use is they'll post five stories a day. They'll post three to five um, Instagram reels a day and one feed post per day. And Jesus. like as artists, that's what we're competing against. Like that's what's crowding the feed. And that's not, like you yeah. have to stand out from that. And like most artists aren't doing that because we have way more to do than just be Instagram famous. Um, yeah. You actually have to like make stuff. But, um, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. you like you kind of have to adapt some of that stuff. You, you, you're doing pretty, I don't know where my phone is, but you're, you're quite, you get a good following on your Instagram. And as you mentioned before, Instagram like drives a lot of your merch sales. So I yeah. mean, how did it's, it's only a fraction of like the followers I have on Spotify or like even yeah. some of the Russian uh, streaming platforms, but it's, it's pretty amazing that even with you know, like, I think I have like 13,000 people on Instagram, yeah. even with that small of a number, you know, that's driving it pretty much all the merch business. Yeah. And it's a good chunk. So. Cause you, cause your I Spotify is like 30,000 people, but the thing with Spotify is you can't like message them. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. So I think even if you have a smaller number, if those, if it's a smaller number, but they're super engaged, and you interact with each comment, you reply to every DM. I, I try to reply to absolutely everyone. I'll even do collaborations with people that have, you know, two followers. They, they don't even have a Spotify page set up. If they send me a song and I think it's cool and it's something I'm not doing on my own, you know, I'm, I'm usually open for it if I have the time. So nice. I have a release, I actually have a release coming out in like a day or so with this kid from Russia that he was, he's like doing this, like, I guess it's kind of like trap or like hip hop stuff. And he wanted me to do the hook, the vocal. Hook. It was like, I liked the song. I thought it was cool. Yeah. Um, and he, he was just 
just starting out. So I'll do stuff like that and also do collaborations with people that are on major labels and, you know, the full big thing. So to me, it doesn't matter. If it's something cool, yeah, yeah I'm open. That that's that. I, mean, I think that's the the best way to do it because like a lot of artists have the kind of clout thing where they're like, I don't want to work with someone smaller than me because it makes me look bad or whatever. But it's just Dude, so st- stupid. I mean, the egos <laughs> are insane in this in this industry. Yeah, yeah. It's that's that's one thing I really really try to be aware of is I try to have no ego. I think that's what's that's that's really what's pushed me to become a better writer is because I've just always thought everything I did was horrible and like <laughs> unlistenable. So I'm just blown away that anyone listens to it to begin with. But that's always kept me on this quest to like, okay, here, I have another chance. Hopefully this time I'll get it right. And then yeah. sure enough, I release it. Nope. Didn't get it right. So it's back to the drawing <laughs> board. And I keep chasing that, that desire just to finally write a song that I like. Yeah. And I think I see a lot of artists that, they get these huge egos and they think everything they do is incredible, the best ever, and they don't really expand or go anywhere from that. Um, yeah. yeah. Totally. I, I've I've had people message me and tell me how great their song is and why I should add it to a playlist. Because like the way I first heard of you about you was you or someone at your label, is it fixed? Is that, is that what your label is mm-hmm. called? Either you or mm-hmm. someone at your label was submitting to me on SubmitHub. <laughs> And um, so on SubmitHub as a curator, I get a lot of artists being like, I just released this, the most fire track ever. Check it out as your <laughs> playlist. And they're like bragging about it. Whereas like, I, I don't, you know, again, I don't know if it was you or someone at the label when they sent me the song. It was like more of like describing the story behind the release and the, the how the song felt. Yeah. And then it's usually when artists, like artists I talk to, usually the ones who are, the most confident that their song is amazing have the, in my opinion, at least the worst quality compared to the, the artists who tell me that their music sucks, you know, or, <laughs> or, or they're like, they're not happy with it, you know, mm. like, because I feel like that drive um, of thinking that your stuff's not good is probably what makes your music better, you know? Yeah. I, I for sure believe that. Um, and I, I guess there's a fine line to, to walk. Like if I was to submit a song to like a PR channel, I wouldn't just start the message out and saying, here's my <laughs> song. You know, it's the worst thing I've ever yeah. done, but give it a shot. I think you just have to find a humble approach. Yeah. Um, because nobody likes a douchebag that's, you know, high on himself or you know, thinks he's the greatest. Right. And if someone were to approach me that way on like for a remix or a collaboration, hell no, there's no way I'm going to work with somebody like that. Yeah. So. I feel the same. If someone was like that, I even if they were like paying me good I, or whatever, or yeah. I, even if I like the song, I'd, I'd probably just say no. I don't want to work with you <laughs> personally. Yeah. There, there's just like basic etiquette that I that a lot of people lack. Like when they're writing messages, I I'll, I'll get DMs sometimes from really entitled like younger kids um, that want me to hear their song, and it's like it's like if I don't respond within you know a few minutes. I start getting these like hateful messages. Like, I'm like, dude, I'm supposed to just see your message, drop everything I'm doing, go listen to your song, give you feedback all yeah. within like a five minute period. And that happens a lot, actually. It's crazy. So just oh. basic etiquette. There's a lot of ego involved. Uh, there's a lot of being afraid to ask questions. Um, 
and you just kind of felt like you're on your own doing something for a big company and there was no no real connection with that company it didn't feel like you're on a team really right it was just like you're supplying a product and it's once it once you give them that product it's out of your control and you just kind of hope for the best uh, but it never really yeah. felt like like it was my product so that's been something really cool to fix the label I'm on now is that yeah. it's you know, I'm, we text every day, me and the label manager. Um, it's just, it's just kind of like we're all business partners and that's really yeah. what it should be. If they're, if they're taking 50% of everything I make, you know, I want that kind of relationship and that kind of help where I need yeah. it. And the help that I need is basically all the, the back end kind of, um, all the boring stuff, you know, submitting songs, PR, pitching, all that kind of thing. Basically, I just want to be able to just write and design and that's it. And yeah. the label kind of picks up the rest from there. Yeah, so all, all the marketing stuff, it's basically like you just saw that and you just did a big fat nope on it. And that's where the label yeah. <laughs> label takes over. Uh, yeah. Well, that's cool. So for, um, you must said it was like, you know, labels taking like 50%, which I've heard is very standard nowadays for those types of labels, I guess more indie ish labels i've heard a lot of people do that um when you were on the majors what was what was the percentages like and what was the upfront i mean you might even not be able to talk about it or not want to but yeah with in other situations it was labels were taking a larger percentage of certain areas yeah. but they wouldn't touch like merchandise so for like touring i would own all the merchandise royalty uh, in my current situation, I'm not set up to tour, at least not right now. So all the merchandise we do is is uh, sold through Fixed. They warehouse it all, inventory it, and ship it. Yeah. So obviously they're entitled to a portion of that. Yeah. Um, and then with other labels in the past, I would take an advance up front, which I would spend on like music equipment or studio, whatever, whatever it is, and. Um, and then you would just spend the year trying to recoup that or two years right. trying to recoup it. And then I realized that, you know, any money that's advanced to you is just a loan. You can just go to the bank. Yeah. Like if, if you just want money, just go get a loan from the bank. It's the same thing and hire a publicist right. or hire a publicist and hire somebody to do your distribution. That's, that's really, if you're looking for money, you can just do that. Yeah. Um, Cause I would, I, when I came into fixed, I turned down an advance because I didn't need it. I, I just mm. can do everything on my own, starting from scratch from zero. And then I just wanted to be profitable from song one. And that's kind of the approach I took is trying to right. minimize any debt that's accrued through being on fixed. And that, that mentality started everything as far as do, trying to do as much as I can on my own. Yeah. And, um, you know, doing it on your own shouldn't be a sacrifice to the quality. So if you can't do some of this stuff on your own, if you're not a graphic designer or, a, you know, clothing designer or whatever, or great with video, maybe you shouldn't do it on your own. You should find somebody to kind of be on a team with you because I do think the quality still matters. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's a delicate line to walk. I think just yeah. knowing when, to give up control and to get someone in there that knows what they're doing. Right. I started graphic designing when I was uh, like in the mid nineties and started with cameras, photography and video around the same time. 
So mm-hmm. that, that whole world is kind of just something that I'm fairly comfortable with. And that's why I do it. Yeah, that makes sense. I, I probably do more than I should, but I have that kind of control problem, I guess. <laughs> um, yeah. But you're right. You know, there is a, there is a, there's a point where like you should just get someone else to do it, especially, you know, if you consider the value of your time and learning something like learning something like Adobe Premiere, you know, I mean, yeah. I already use it extensively just because um, YouTube, but um, if some artist is doing it from scratch, they're just, they're going to spend like a couple of weeks just trying to figure out how to edit a video, never mind filming a video, what camera to use, what lens to use, how to light a scene. Um, but I will say now more than ever, there's a tutorial for absolutely everything. Right. So if you want to learn how to do video, if you dedicate like a month just devouring YouTube content, <laughs> you can learn how to do a video on an iPhone. That's all you need. Yeah. Really. Uh, and that was not the case when I started. When I started, the in- internet was just starting and you had to figure out everything on your own just from trial and error and failure. So yeah, that's one thing I didn't have the advantage of is, you know, I, I wasted a lot of time trying to figure things out on my own. <clears throat> yeah. So you, you mentioned the idea of advances just being essentially loans, which mm-hmm. I guess that's something I knew, but just kind of thinking about it after hearing you say it, like it, if, if a big artist gets, you know, and I'm talking like a bigger artist, I'm doubting you got like a million dollar advance or something, no. <laughs> but you hear about some artists getting signed and they'll get these crazy advances. Um, they're essentially like they're, 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 they were given a loan for that Absolutely. and they have to pay yeah. all that back. So how I'm guessing it's different for every contract, but I'm guessing the way it works is like during for a certain period of time after they're signed, like a certain higher percentage of proceeds from all invent, you know, all items like merch and, and record sales and streaming would just go to the label. So like maybe if the, if the artist was originally supposed to get X percent, after before they pay off their loan the labels only giving them x minus y percent or something is that how it works or yeah so yeah in general it would be you get this money up front to live on for to sustain maybe one year of life um and during that year all everything you release every single every album sale anything you do on tour that's sometimes there's a different touring contract, but in general, all income coming in your way first goes back to paying the advance back. And once that advance hits zero and you pay it off, then you can start getting your royalty checks and income after Mm. that. And that's how bands like 30 seconds to Mars get stuck with these crazy lawsuits. I don't know if you heard about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I watched a documentary on that. So yeah, it's unbelievable. But I mean, if you're given 500 grand up front, you know, a lot of what makes an artist successful is huge advertised budgets, advertising yeah. budgets, taking out billboards and doing massive videos with a huge campaign behind it. So that, you know, even though it is just a loan, it's giving you access to do a lot of the stuff that like, you know, right. Ariana Grande would do or something like that. So yeah, it, it, it is necessary. If you don't have that money, you can't expect to get to that level unless you really strike luck and something viral happens. Um, but yeah. So what is part of the advance kind of spent by the label then? Because I'm guessing they're not giving the artist the money and expecting them to know like which 
marketing agency to hire, which PR firm to hire. Like, I'm guessing some of that advance is being spent by the label then, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it could be different scenarios. Um, in my personal experiences, I was given the advance that was mine to do whatever I want with. And then outside of that, the label was racking up bills in marketing, PR, advertising, a music video that would get added on to my tab, basically. Yeah. So it's just a running tab. Because um, that really, that is what a label is there to offer, aside from the money, is they, they come with this team and uh, they're basically like a producer, like a movie producer. Well, they'll, they'll give you access yeah. to, okay, for photo shoots, this is who we use. For videos, here's our roster of directors. For touring, let's you know talk to these tour managers and agencies. So they give you the access that way. Okay. But ultimately, you're getting billed for all of it. Right. That's so. <laughs> nuts. So when when I, when you were at some of the other labels, I'm sure now since you have so much built up, um, it's different. But back then, when you were getting more started, did you ever see what the labels were doing to promote your music? Like, was it mostly just PR, or were they like pushing yeah, your stuff um, to radio promoters, or or what was it? Yeah, in some of the cases, um, I was playing for this one artist that had a few songs on a couple Marvel movies. Wow. And the promotion for that, for the single that was on the movie, was it was a radio promo tour where we just traveled around the U.S., uh, going to different radio stations, playing the song live on, on the air, like with an acoustic guitar. And then we would also hit festivals in between. So that was kind of, that was a big, the big promo for that. Yeah. Um, previous label I was on for the Annex, um, we did like a comic book promo thing. I had a song that was on a DC Comics video game. It was all, also had a TV commercial going with it. Yeah. And that was, so that's like a licensing publishing thing that turned into promotion for me. Right. Um, so that was just a rare time where it was a, a major video game on major TV for the commercial. And then to kind of milk that as far as possible, we did um, like a contest with Fender guitars where we gave away a guitar that was wrapped in like DC Comics stuff. <laughs> and then we we sent out USB drives to like comic book stores with the album on it before it was out. So people rolling into, you know, comic book stores could ask, oh, do you have this? We'd give them like a code word and they would ask for it at the counter and they'd get this USB drive. Yeah. Um, but aside from that, I think, PR was more important back a few years ago, 10 years ago or so. Um, like when I, I had an article that was written about me in, um, I can't remember if it was Billboard or Rolling Stone, just like a review of the album. Right. And that was like a big deal. That was, and that's like good um, ammunition for like booking tours to show like these press clippings. But now it's like, I don't know how much value really it gets. Um, yeah. With the guitar strap I just did, that had major press coverage, like on Hypebeast and all these huge sites. Um, and I know that that helped generate sales. But as far as music press, you know, I can't remember the last time I was really looking for press articles to find new music. Usually I find out about it through Spotify yeah. or through friends or, you know, yeah. Yeah, same. I mean, for me, most of the new music I find is through friends or, or Spotify recommending me something. Um, yeah. And I, I talked to like a few different like larger or larger artists and they said like back in the day, 
for them at least, like PR was very important and reviews on on sites or whatever really important. And then at some point they said a transition to Facebook page likes. And yeah. <laughs> that was like the number one thing that would get you booked at a venue or might get you headlining versus whatever. And so he said like like he he got denied like headlining something and even though he was like definitely the drop artist for the show and then he found out later it was because they were just going by Facebook page likes. And this was like Jeez. you know years ago when that actually mattered. And yeah. he said at some point it transitioned to a combination of like Instagram followers and Spotify followers and Spotify monthly listeners. And yeah. it's it's kind of silly in a way. But I mean, I guess if if you put yourselves in the shoes of that, like the promoter or whatever, like they don't know who the hell you are <laughs> and, and they don't see all the DMs and the merch sales. They just they look at like a few public numbers and that's all they have to go for for like whether yeah. they book you or not. I think one of the most important things any musician could learn, like if you're going to study something, it'd be marketing. Just so you have the ability to see yourself through the lens of these other people you're trying to work with, like booking agents, uh, venues, um, other press blogs and all that stuff. Basically everyone wants to know what's in it for them and how are they going to get more eyeballs on their brand or whatever they have. And, um, it's it's just all marketing. Everything is marketing. That's the bottom line. It's just, everything is marketing. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, have you ever used Facebook ads? <laughs> Personally, no. Uh, I think Fix has ran some. Yeah. Uh, like when I when my actual album's out, they'll do some ads at that point. But okay. I've never I've never had any ad experience that was massively beneficial that I got excited about it and thought, okay, I need to do more of this. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. like been a slam dunk for me yet, as far as ads go. Right. Right. So the the uh, Fix does some for the album. Yeah. Um, do they, do you have any idea like what, what they do for it or do you just kind of know they do it? <laughs> yeah. That that's one topic I haven't dove into enough to understand completely. Yeah. Uh, so I don't really know how successful they are. My, my evaluation of success is seeing new people, um, new page likes, new people DMing me. And that seems to be constant, but that's, it's the majority of that's just organic. Just, you know, I guess they find me through Spotify or, or that route. Yeah. 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 I've noticed that, um, I mean, you you might, you might've noticed that on my channel, I talk a lot about using Facebook ads for artists, music, but I need to, I need to take some lessons from you. (laughs) Yeah. Rewatch this. It's uh, like, you know, there's totally other ways to do it, especially, you know, you, you came from an era that that stuff didn't exist. You know, you got started before Facebook existed and definitely Facebook ads existed. And and um, it's like it's changed over the years. But if if you were to do it all again today, you were, you know, you would go, go back to like 18 year old Brandon <laughs> in 2021, you know, just making music for fun. Like what would your plan of attack be kind of like seeing the industry now and, and knowing how things went, like what would be your first move to like build yourself up from nothing? 
uh, probably be getting a marketing degree <laughs> or taking as many courses online and reading as many books as I can on uh, marketing and branding, those two elements. Because really to start out, I mean, there's billions, I'm sure, of artists out there. And everyone is really using the same tools to make very similar, a very similar product. Something you listen to on speakers, has a drum beat, has a bass line and a vocal. So it's like, you really have to get creative on dreaming up ways to stand out and to make something unique that no one else is doing. Um, car brands, for example, automotive, they look at even things down to the colors that are associated with, with each brand. Like Ferrari is red. Um, Porsche is like this red and gold from the badge. BMW is blue. And so when they're developing a brand identity, they're looking at the color wheel and where can we, what color can we have that's uniquely ours to stand out? Mm. You're, they're looking for any little thing they can just to have something unique. And that's really difficult for an artist, um, especially yeah. starting out. So I think, yeah, if I were just starting out, those two categories I would really try to master. And um, I wouldn't focus so much on the production of the music. I would just focus on the vibe and creating something that has a unique attitude towards it. A lot of the music I like, uh, I don't care about the production on it. I care really about like the chorus. Is it a chorus that I, that I like? That's really what a song for me comes down to is the chorus. Um, you know, Nine Inch Nails, band I love. A lot of their songs to me sound horrible production-wise like almost unlistenable. Uh, and then the chorus comes around and it kind of brings it all together. And that's, that's what keeps me coming back is a good chorus. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that'd be my advice is uh, that. Cool. That's one question I always, always ask people when they've had like, uh, like a longer career in music. Cause it's always cool to hear like what, what people say. Again, I'm sure you can imagine like everyone's a little bit different. With, the, with that kind of answer, but um, that was a good one. Yeah, what what would your what would you do if you were just starting? I probably well, considering that I only started like I mean I've been making music for seventeen years or something, but I just started promoting it in twenty nineteen. So yeah. since it's that recent, I'd be basically do the same thing that I've been doing. But I mean, I I, I feel like you're kind of at the point where obviously like you're still trying to grow and, and develop your brand and, and push the boundaries. But like, I feel like you've kind of pushed through a certain level where you have a pretty solid fan base that looks like they engage with you and they come back again and again. Um, I'm still trying to, trying to push through that. I feel mm -hmm. like, like I'm the Spotify front. I'm like kind of growing, you know, every over time, but now I'm trying to focus on, a lot of the things you mentioned are important, like the engagements and the um, DMs. And I'm trying to build up that email list and try to get into the whole merch side of things too, because it's just different. You know, the, the experience on Spotify, it's much different from what you have. You know, just getting streams on Spotify is different from getting all these DMs and having people come back for all these unique merch launches. And, and yeah. Um, yeah, so for me, it would be the same thing, but I'm, I feel like I'm still kind of in that in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, another thing that's helped me throughout this like path is uh, I'm sure every musician musicians experience the same thing where other people are defining what being successful is for you. 
So everyone's, yeah. you know, I would go to like family gatherings or at work, working a normal job. And everyone's like, so what's going on with the band? And you, you try to explain it to them. And for those people, if they don't hear you're on MTV or you're not making like a million dollars a year, they think you're a failure. Yeah. Like for, for the majority of people looking in, they think being a musician means either like Kanye West level or you're a failure. They right. don't understand that there's, there's this middle territory. And if you just have to be you know, at one with yourself to be okay with wherever you end up landing in that realm. And once I understood I'm never going to be Kanye West or in that ter territory, the music I make is more, it's more of this underground thing. It's just, it's yeah. never going to have this mass audience, but that doesn't mean that it's a failure and I can still make money on this. I can still, yeah. you know, the reward for me is that people listen to it. The another byproduct of that is that I make streaming sales and whatever else. But really what it what I came to terms with is that I like making music. And what I like even more is when I know that people are listening to it. That's yeah. kind of like the, the most important thing. Nothing's worse than when you spend all this time on a song, you put it out and no one listens to it. You want <laughs> people to hear it. Yeah. Um, so that's at some point a few years ago that became the goal is I just want to put music out and have people listen to it and like it or hate it. And then following that path, um, streaming started going up and everything started coming together. But, uh, yeah, that's, it's a hard thing when everyone around you is trying to, you know, making you feel like shit and you're a failure and it's hard to keep pushing yeah. through that and going forward. So you just have to define what your own success is. Like for you, what do you want to be successful? And just, yeah. you know, you need a reality check sometimes, but yeah. It's great advice. It's really, yeah. really great advice. Uh, I, I've had people comment on videos where they, they'll say like, you know, name, name like one example of an artist who has become successful with Facebook ads. And I'll like name some, <laughs> I'll name some and they'll, you know, that have, there's this rapper I had on for an interview. He had like 200,000 monthly listeners on Spotify and he lives off of his music. And the guy was like, no, that's not enough. I was like, <laughs> like, well, he lives off his music. He's happy. He has a fan base and he, he does music for a living. Like, yeah, what the hell is six? Like, you know, I mean, to me, that's kind of a success. It depends yeah. though. Like it, it's totally variable. If, if you're only, if the only way you'll be happy is if you're number one in something yeah. and like, yeah, you're, you're probably going to, going to die a very sad man, but <laughs> just because yeah. it's like, there's only, you can only be a few people at that upper tier, but, um, it's a good point. Like, and, yeah. and that upper tier, that's, that's an ephemeral thing. So if you think of every band that's ever been number one, um, you know, maybe Nine Inch Nails had that at one point. Maybe Tool had it at one point. 30 Seconds to Mars. Kanye. Whoever it is, they might hit number one at some point, but no one ever stays at number one forever. Yeah. That's a variable position. So you have to be at peace with wherever you naturally kind of gravitate in that, in that spectrum. And if you, if you aren't, I mean, there's no way I can sustain doing this every day if I was unhappy with that. Where I'm, where I'm landing. And of course, yeah. I, everyone would want to be more successful. Yeah, but, um, of course. you know, that's the, the battle we're all in. We, we keep striving to be better and maybe, maybe it'll happen bigger. 
if we keep trying. So, yeah, I think for me, the, the criteria for success is, I mean, obviously I have all this other stuff going on. There's a YouTube channel, there's courses, there's sample pack businesses and stuff. But for me, the music itself, if, if the music itself, if I didn't invest in marketing when I dropped a song, for me, success would be I could just release music and it would do reasonably well on its own. And then all the promotion I do is just icing on the cake. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I've seen with like, like if you just drop a song, it does, it does well. And obviously well is a relative term, but like um, that's kind of, for me, I think that would be the first big win. It's like, I can just drop music. I'm going to get messages about it. I'm going to um, see it do reasonably well, even if I didn't invest anything in marketing and put, any, put super big effort behind it. And I think the next level of, of success would be defined by like, is the music itself a profitable endeavor? <laughs> Which is like, that's an entirely different thing because you have to factor in like, you know, the cost of marketing, the cost of making all the content and then the overhead costs that a lot of us don't consider like all the music gear and stuff too. But um, for me, it's like if, if those two things were were checked off the list, that would be like, that's, I don't think I would necessarily ever expect more. You know, I think a lot of artists yeah. mess it up too. Like they want to be Ed Sheeran or something. And that's a big goal. That's like asking to start a company that becomes the next Apple, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So having a reasonable a realistic expectation or goal. And then once you hit that goal, you can always keep going up. Um, And, you know, maybe you don't even need goals. You just do whatever feels natural, makes you happy doing it. And then that'll lead you to places. And then you'll, you'll eventually find natural goals that that seem realistic, but. Yeah. yeah. I hear you. I hear dogs. (laughs) Yeah, man, they're going nuts. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. My, My dogs almost went off earlier when you were chatting. And uh, luckily they, they didn't. They just ran out of the room. Yeah, it's always a high risk of here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, what's what's like, what's on the horizon for you? Like, what what's the next big thing for the Annex? <laughs> uh, it's finishing the this current album, uh, which is done. I just have to uh, finalize about five songs. Um, I've got about five different outside of the album, five different collaborations I'm doing with other artists that'll just be released as singles. Uh, I need to do another video. Um, And then we rebought the rights to one of my old albums from 2008. And we're going to remaster and kind of uh, revamp a few of the singles on there to make them feel more current. Uh, So that's kind of the rest of this year. That's the plan as far as music goes. Uh, More merchandise, possibly bringing on a manager. Um, to help with various things. Um, there's a, there's some talk about touring next year. Yeah. And uh, so, so you, you don't even have a manager, actually. That's, that's an interesting no. point. Uh, I see a lot of artists, like, trying to rush getting a manager. And, like, they'll, be, they'll have, like, 100 monthly listeners on Spotify, and they'll be like, I need a manager to help me grow. But... Um, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, obviously there's a place for them, but it seems like for you, the idea is you would get a manager because you need, I guess in reality, 
a manager is more like an, your employee, like, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think if, if you're just starting and you have, and you don't have a label, you're just totally independent and you brought in a manager to kind of manage submitting your music to the DSPs and pitching playlists. And he's going to try to get you PR and that kind of stuff. I would say it's a good idea. Okay. Um, but for me, the label takes care of that and yeah, yeah. all the other stuff, like the production work I do, the remixes that that's all just organic stuff that comes in. Like I'm not out there hustling to get that stuff. I don't promote that. I do it. It's just yeah. something it's just DMS that come in or something like that. Uh, so that that's definitely a side of the business I could grow. If I, if I had a manager that was pushing me as a producer or a writer remixer, I'm sure I could do, you know, tenfold of what I'm doing now. But then at the sacrifice of putting the annex original music on the back burner. So right now the focus is still me producing original new songs at at least one single per month. And if I ever get caught up and I, I knock all those out and I have five months of time, then maybe I'll, I can dive into the other stuff harder. So, so it sounds like everyone, if you want to have uh, Brandon remix your music, just blow up his inbox. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. you, you, you've admitted that you work with anyone regardless of size and that you take uh, remix requests by DMs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't take all of them. It, it does yeah. definitely depend on, on how much work I have. And then yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll self-destruct, like when I take on too much stuff and, uh, you know, you have these meltdowns every once in a while where you're like, screw it all. I'm going to, I've had moments down where I'm like, I'm just going to sell everything, sell all my equipment and just go wow. out. Like I'm just done with it. Um, but I will say over the last two to three years, it's been pretty stable as far as my like mental state being in the music industry. Before that, there was all these just massive ups and downs. It was always hard touring and then coming back to reality when you get home, mm. getting a normal job, having to do everything on your own um, and just being like a nobody. Cause when you're on tour, you at least feel like you're, yeah. you're in the cause and you know, you're working towards a goal. And then when, once that's over, it's a real problem for a lot of musicians that tour is they call it like landing. When you get back home and you have to land back into reality. Yeah. It's a huge challenge and there's like depression and all this, you know, crazy stuff that goes on. I think uh, Bono from U2 even has a landing house. So when he gets home from tour, before he goes back into his, his house, he has yeah. this separate back house where he goes in for a few days just to kind of adjust to reality. Yeah. So, uh, that, 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 yeah, like, I never thought about that before, but like, that seems so logical when you think about it. Like when you're on tour, you, you have, you know, X amount of thousands of people like watching you and cheering you on and being pumped and, and like you're backstage. And so you're kind of special and isolated from the crowd. And so I feel like yeah. if you're on tour, you're, you're kind of like being treated like you're special for the whole thing. And then you come exactly. home and you're just branded. <laughs> yeah you know it's dark. It's a <laughs> I, I feel like that's that's like a huge shell shock for I me mean, for a longer tour if you did it for like a week or something i'm sure it's fine but um i can imagine if you did that for like you know extended period of time you come home and it's just kind of like if if your if your head's not on like perfectly straight you might kind of get depressed you know oh totally yeah and you know when you're on tour usually you'll have a tour manager and depending on the size of the tour but like good, you know, professional tours, 
pretty much everything's done for you. You just, your only job is to wake up and be on stage to sound check at a certain time and then be on stage to play. Everything else in between that, it's just your lunches, your food is all made. You don't have to drive anywhere. Little responsibility. So um, that's not reality. That's not how life works. Unfortunately. When you get used to that, coming home from that is hard. Yeah. I know. Imagine if every day you woke up and all you had to do was just like, I don't know, sh- like show up in your couch or something. And then like everyone yeah. would bring you food. And <laughs> yeah. And you only had to work for an hour a day on stage, you know, or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone loves you. They're screaming. And, yeah. And then imagine you do that for a few months and then you come home and now you're begging to get a job at, you know, some dead end thing and, Nobody knows who you are. No one cares. They see you as a failure because they don't, they haven't heard of your band name. Right. So that's a very stark contrast. So for me, it's not touring has been probably the best mental thing because you don't have that massive uh, roller coaster to deal with. Yeah. 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 People's expectations are, you know, you mentioned people like, Oh, I haven't heard of your band and it's, it's, it's weird. You know, it's, but I mean, it's like, you're kind of like, you're doing pretty damn good too. So it's like, if someone did that to you now, it'd be like, it's like silly, but I can imagine how it still probably kind of hurts your feelings a little bit when, when, when you get that reaction, like, Oh, what do you do for, for a living? And you're like, Oh, I'm I'm a musician. And someone might be like, Oh, you know? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. The general reaction is, Oh, uh, I haven't heard any of your songs. And I was like, no, I'm sure you haven't. It's all <laughs> pretty obscure. No one, no one knows it. I really, when people ask, I don't even tell them the name. I just keep the whole thing a secret for, for the most part. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, you know, is people's expectations are so weird. Whereas, like, it's it's not the same thing where if, if you're like, oh, what do you do for a living? And they say, like, engineer. You're not like, oh, have I heard of your company? And then they're not like, yeah. they're not like ashamed to answer the question. You know, it's not, yeah. it's like, it's the same, like it's the end of the day doing music. It's just another, I mean, obviously it's art and it's creativity, but it's the end of the day, it's also like a career path, um, yeah. but it gets treated so much differently. And I'm sure the, the artist folk feel the same way if they're like a professional artist in some way. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's, Everyone just wants to be authentically who they are. You don't want to have to, you know, if you're, if you feel like you are truly a musician, an artist, painter, whatever it is, nobody wants to go and meet people and and say, yeah, I work at McDonald's. Yeah. I flip burgers for a living. They want to be able to say, I'm an artist. They want to be able to dress how they want to dress. And that's, that's always been the worst part is, is, basically wearing this disguise that you're someone else mm. because you can't let everyone know you're an artist or you're whatever. And I yeah. think, um, that's always just been the goal for me is breaking past that point and just being exactly who I am. And that's, that's my life is just no apologies. This is, this is who I am. This is what I do. And that's it. Not having to cover it up or wear a disguise or lie. Yeah. Uh, on the note, that made me think about something. So, like, you have this whole aesthetic, you know, like how you dress and everything. It sounds like for you, that's just how, that's just how you dressed as like a, I guess, normal person, and you just translate yeah. it to your music. And I'm sure there's a little bit that's like dramatic, like it was made a little bit more emphasized for the purpose of like content. But 
um, someone commented on one of my videos like a few weeks ago and they were like, Andrew, you need to hire a stylist. You're, you're, you're being held back because like the way you dress is boring. The way you look, is boring. There's nothing that stands out about it. And at first I was kind of a little bit like, screw you guy. <laughs> but then I like, he, he was being, he was genuinely very nice about it. And I was like, he's kind of right. Like, I mean, I just kind of like what I do is my approach has always been like, I'm just going to act like how I act personally. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't talking about my YouTube stuff. He's talking about specifically like my music content, which um, the way I present myself with my music, he was saying like, I'm, but for me, it was always like, I just always just be myself. So whatever clothes I would normally wear, I mean, I might like pick a different shirt. I'm not going to wear like a Mickey mouse shirt in a music video (laughs) or something or like a picture that's for, kind of made to be more like for the music thing. But it made me think about like if if I was going to pick like a style for like looks and what I wear and stuff, it's like is it better to embrace the fact that people want to see something that's unique and that'll make them you stick in their mind more? Or is it better to be authentic to yourself? Because for me, like, this is how I am all the time. I'm just a guy with glass, mm-hmm. a nerdy guy with glasses who wears a lot of his own smiley shirts in orange. <laughs> um, and I wear a lot of Disney shirts, too. So it's kind of like, do I just stick to being authentic? Or do I try to develop, like, some kind of memorable aesthetic behind how I look? Um, I, for me, it's the authentic route is definitely the way, uh, just cause I can always tell if somebody has been dressed by a stylist or yeah. if they're wearing their friend's clothes or for, that's just, I can see right through it. Uh, but I don't know if everyone has that or can see that way. Yeah. Um, but there's a room for all kinds of looks. You don't have to just wear futuristic black stuff like I do. Yeah. You could do anything. Like, I, I always thought a cool look for my music would be the opposite of what you would expect. So my music's pretty futuristic, kind of dark. So everyone expects the look to fit that. But I always thought it'd be cool just to go, like, in a full grunge route, like Kurt Cobain, just wear flannel, torn up jeans, because it's, I like the imbalance. Um, and I, I like that a lot in a lot of things. Um, and I try to capture that in a lot of stuff I do is an imbalance. So yeah. if everything's too one-directional, it's just everything needs contrast, like a yin and yang, black and white. There's no beauty without ugly. There's no perfection without imperfection. And I think that works for a look. It works for a song, everything that can be applied to everything. Yeah. Yeah. So it just sounds like, you know, maybe, maybe the answer for me is um, try to figure out something that's, that's more unique, but is still authentic, <laughs> which I guess is the complicated part. Yeah, that um, uh, I'll, I'll have to after this. I'll have to dive into all your photos and, and see how you release and just to take yeah. another look. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, like I'm I'm down to hear any opinion you have. You know, you've you've been around the ringer a lot, a lot more than I have. You have a lot more experience in this, so feel free to rip me to shreds. <laughs> I won't <laughs> I won't take it the wrong way. But um, I mean, another part is I just I absolutely love clothes. Um, yeah. So that's it. Just fits for me to have that be a big part of it um just because i always loved characters growing up like yeah. marvel characters dc gi joe's army you know military i loved how all that stuff looked 
And at one point I was like, you can't wear this stuff if you're going to work at a bank every day, but you can (laughs) get away with it if you're a musician or an artist. So that kind of all, that was like one way to live that fantasy is just bring it into the artistic realm. Right, right. Yeah. So completely unrelated question. How do you feel about the last two 30 Seconds to Mars albums? <laughs> uh, really, the only one I really liked was the very first one. That's my favorite one. I, I love yeah. that out When I first heard your song, Hideaway, which was the first song I heard by you, mm-hmm. um, the first thing I thought of was the first 30 Seconds to Mars album, which is one of my favorite mm-hmm. albums like ever. Yeah. And I love, I love their second one. And I, I like the third one. And the last two, I've just been angry at Jared Leto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, you know, he's doing his own thing, whatever, but yeah. I can't look at any of it. I can't listen. You know, I, I don't really listen to a lot of music in general, but I have no desire to, to really dive into it. Mm-hmm. I liked when he, I, I liked the first album because it felt like he wasn't, he didn't really know how to do things perfectly yet so that you could tell he was figuring things out there's a lot of experimental yeah. things the songs weren't perfectly done but that's what's made what made it all cool to me yeah. then it's like on record two three and four you could tell he learned new singing techniques and he just got more cocky and he knew what he was and how good he looked and all this stuff they became huge and i felt like that just showed throughout the music yeah, and the yeah, songs yeah. became a little more just generic and, you know, and just lost it for me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> nice. But clearly, I mean, my, my perspective doesn't matter because they have, you know, millions and millions of fans. So it's yeah. working on some front. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think if an artist wants, there's a million reasons for an artist to change styles. Like maybe he genuinely was bored of that. I mean, every album he does is completely different and he's making money with it and people like it. Yeah. So it's like can't really judge him for it but it makes me sad every time i see a new release by them because i'm like it's you had like this one album that was like one of my favorite things ever and then you just never did anything close to it again yeah um <laughs> it was just a little heartbreaking yeah. yeah um i mean he's a phenomenal vocalist there's yeah. no denying that and i love uh, the drumming his brother does yeah yeah um but yeah i wish they could have stayed in that darker place with the first album yeah so so, like, it, what kind of artist, if someone were to ask you, like, describe what your music is like, um, how would you describe it? Would you reference, like, a few artists? Or would you reference this kind of, like, futuristic kind of uh, electronic rock? Um, I feel like the, the term electronic rock, has, in my opinion, has a bad vibe. So I, I try to stay away from that just because there's a lot of that out there that just sounds too programmed and too perfect. Most of my inspiration comes from like the nineties grunge era when things were very imperfect and just messy and kind of reckless. Um, so that's like, that's the core of everything I do is this like grunge, like backbone basically. Um, but also around that, in that same time frame, I also love like the cure, Depeche Mode, new order, Phil Collins, Genesis, The Cars, a lot of those bands that were combining rock and electronic. Um, So it's, you know, it's just combining those two worlds, the alternative rock side 
where it's like big fuzzed out guitars, big choruses. But on the verses of my songs, I try to capture the electronic stuff. And then yeah. that we have this kind of constricted electronic section in the verse, then the chorus just blows up into this <clears throat> big, like alt rock you know, thing. Yeah, so, yeah. There's no real easy way to describe it. Um, and that's always been a, a challenging part because I don't have a consistent music style. It's always ranging from pure electronic <laughs> to more pure alternative rock or the combination of the two. Yeah. Um, and for a lot of fans, they just want one thing. They're either into metal and that's it or into rock and they hate electronic. So fusing those two things, it's a very specific person that is open minded yeah. to that. One of my side projects, it's a band called Murder Night. It's me and me and a friend of mine. Um, it's like it's a combination of dubstep and metal. So he <laughs> makes these like really banging like dubstep tracks, but they're also like they have eight string guitars in them. So they're Jeez. like this kind of fusion of like metal and dubstep. And then I had these like a mixture of like streaming vocals and melodic vocals. So the idea is with that, it's like dubstep and metal. Sometimes it's super heavy, like just big breakdowns. I mean, dubstep breakdowns with big, thick, like layered screaming. And then we always want to have like catchy choruses. So it's this weird hybrid thing, right? Like it's super niche. And surprisingly, it does quite well when we advertise it. Because it's like, I was really concerned when we dropped our first couple of tracks. I was like, who's going to like this? You know, like how, or not necessarily who's going to like this. How are we going to find the people that are going to like this? Because people like, every, there's, there's always an audience for, no matter what weirdo genre you're doing, like there's people for it. Um, it's just a matter of finding them. And right. um like, at least in the Facebook ad land, we just targeted people who like dubstep and metal. And that just worked. Mm. Or we did yeah. dubstep narrowed by metalcore. So they had to like both of those things. Um, and I can imagine for you, you have a similar thing, right? You're doing this kind of, it's like, you're doing rock music, but there's electronic stuff in it. And some people that like rock might hate electronic music. And you're doing this yeah. electronic thing. And people that like electronic might hate rock. And... <laughs> yeah the problem is the term electronic is such a broad spectrum yeah so that can mean like pure berlin techno music it can mean house music it could be you know pop music i mean it's it's a massive term yeah. so that's that's something we always struggle with even at the label is when we're pitching to playlists how do we classify it and usually right. it gets on like the big rock playlists that's that's where we've had the success. We don't have the success when we try to pitch it to electronic playlists because I think yeah. we're just selecting the wrong subgenres. And I, honestly, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know what it would be either. It. Like, I feel like the closest yeah. would be like a synth wave, but it's totally not synth wave either. So yeah, um, just because you get That's, like the 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 kind of um, drum loops just the way the drums sound like the kind of analog drum things you have in some of your songs like i yeah. think of synth wave and but even that it's not really that that close and i feel like it wouldn't fit on a playlist of synth wave <laughs> it's hard man and then the only bands that i because i don't like i was saying i don't really listen to music um a lot but i mean like muse they're a band that combines a similar kind of rock with electronics 30 seconds to mars 
um, the Smashing Pumpkins, Nine Inch Nails. So unfortunately, the only references I have are these massive epic bands. Yeah. That's, and, you know, just trying to see how they tag things and go from there. Right. But, 